0: Um road so, image and rabbi individual wouldn't be a fun. Okay, as well as the faculty member at Scrum College. Certainly, yes. Okay. Um please girls, please stand and welcome other chapters. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Monk, and thank you to all of you for being here. It's a special opportunity. I was never in this building. And it's very exciting to be here as a part of this new chapter in Shalamat's history. A lot of uh, faces that I recognize from other parts of the neighborhood. So welcome to all of you and thank you so much for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. So I was told that this is part of a larger context, a larger discussion that we're having here in school about Simcha, which is very appropriate. Mish'a nich'nas adar mar as we know, we try as best as we can to elevate and heighten our levels of Simcha at this time of the year. But really, this should be an opportunity for us to think about Simcha and to reflect on being happy people uh, throughout the year. So what I want to focus on is just that very theme. The Gemara has a very interesting discussion. It's a Gemara Meseches Chulin, Tafkuf Lameteh base. Beis. The Gemara asks us, as we know, the story of Haman and Achashverosh, of Esther and Mordechai, was not something that happened in the pages of Chumash. This happened much later on in history. In fact, this was the last of the miracles that is recorded in Tanakh. Esther Hamalka writes the story and says, "Kisvuni ledoros. She begs with the leadership of her generation, Can you please write down the story that I just experienced, that all future generations should be aware of the great miracle of all that happened during the days of Mordechai and Esther, of Haman and Ahasuerus. So the Gemara asks, Although this is something that comes up much later on in history, and Megillah Sester is something that is only part of Nach, it's not part of the Torah itself, the Gemara wants to know, Haman min Hatorah minay? Is there any reference in the Torah itself? Is there any hint that we can find to the story of Haman and his engagement and his involvement with Mordechai and Esther? Anybody ever heard this question before? Haman min Hatorah minay? How do we know that Haman actually existed? Is there any reference in the Torah? So you know the question? Do you know the answer? You don't know the answer, but you've heard the question. You've heard the question. Yes. Wow. Wow. So the answer is, the answer is, and now it's going to get more complicated, but you gave the right answer. The answer is we go all the way back to the beginning. And we find in Parshus Bereshit where the Torah talks about the creation of the world and Adam Rishon and Chava and there they are in Gan Eden and life is perfect and everything's amazing and suddenly we have a conversation, "Hamin ha'etz hazeh, am I allowed to eat from this tree?" As we know, Achdar Baruch tells Adam Rishon, "What was the first commandment to Adam Rishon actually?" People get this wrong all the time. So don't get it wrong. The first commandment that most people think was don't eat from the Eitz HaDas. Not correct. The first commandment actually was, Enjoy the world. Take pleasure. Take advantage of everything that's out there in the world. And then only after that, God tells Adam Marishon. But this one, from the Eitz HaDas, you should not eat. And then Chava comes to her husband, and she serves him this food, and he says, Whoa, one second. Am I going to eat from that tree that Hashem said don't eat from? And from there we have a reference to Haman. How do you know? Because it says Hamin ha Sounds very cute and it sounds very sweet. It's a play on the words. Hamin ha Haman, got it. Same letters, same words. But how is that connected at all? Is this a game? Is this a joke? The Gemara just wants to find somewhere where we can have a sequence of three letters, hey, mem, nun, that's going to remind us of a story of Haman. How is that connected at all? If you do a bar search or you go on the internet, quite frankly, and you look at how many times throughout the pages of Chumash you're going to have that sequence of, hey, Nun, I'm sure, I don't know, but I'm sure that there will be some other place where we can find it as well. So there has to be some kind of intrinsic connection between Hamilha HaEitz, about the story of the Eitz Hadass, and the story of Haman. And what is that connection? Perhaps it goes as follows. Haman, as we know, was a great minister in this kingdom of Achashverosh. And as we start off the Megillah and we read, Sheva ve'eser medinos, 127 counties, 127 countries that were under the leadership. Can you imagine what that means? It was the world power of the time. There was nobody who came close to that kind of leadership. And Haman was second in command. And here he was and he has everything in the world. And he has people bowing down to him in the streets. And Haman has everything a person can ever imagine having in this world. And yet, what does Haman say? When he sees that Mordechai is not willing to bow down to him, what is his reaction? What is his response? Everything that I have in the world, all the honor that I'm getting, all the power and the glory that was given to Haman, is not worth it. Why? Because one person, because Mordechai lo because there's one Jew out there in the streets. Although you have thousands of people everywhere you go who are celebrating you, if I see that there's one person out there in the world who's not willing to give me the covet, the dignity, the respect that I feel I deserve, then nothing else is worth it. And that's all I can focus on. And I don't see anything else happening in my life. All I see is that one individual, that one person who's nagging at me, who's not giving me what I deserve, and that's what's taking me over. It's overwhelming me. That's what he focused on. You can be a person who has everything in the world and one thing goes wrong and all you're willing to focus on is not the positive aspects of life and everything that you actually do have. The only thing you can bring yourself to focus on is the one aspect of negativity and you're going to blow it out of proportion and it's going to overtake your life but it's a choice that you have made that you're going to focus on this instead of focusing on all of that. That is the same story as the Eitzhah does. HaKadosh Baruch Hu God tells Adam HaRishon and Chava take advantage of everything in the world it's a nice big world out there and there's so much to enjoy and there's so much pleasure to have and there's so much that you can have the opportunity to experience and yet what does Adam HaRishon do? All he focuses on is that one tree that he's not allowed to eat how do you even notice it? there's so many other things to be busy with that's where your focus is that's where your mind is and that's where they made the mistake that is the connection between Haman Harusha and the story of Adam Arishon and Chava in Ganeiden. You know, there's a story that's told about the Baal Shem, Tov. Baal Shem Tov lived in Russia, and one day he looks out his window and he notices Rab the water carrier, is walking down the street. And he sees the water carrier is slowly pedaling through the town and he has weighty buckets on his shoulders and his back is hunched over and he's working so hard. And he calls out to him and the Baal Shem Tov says, You know... Let me give you some chizek from Chaikal House Parnasa. How are things going today? And the man turns to him and he says, You know, I'm so bitter. I'm so frustrated. Life is really horrible. You know, I'm so worn out. I've been doing this every day of my life and I'm so exhausted and it's really, it's weighing on me. And look at my back. I've broken my back as a result of all this water that I'm carrying. And the truth is, after all the work that I do, I don't even generate enough income to bring home food for my family. I have to go peddling around the streets at night to try to find people's leftovers. I don't have anything. My legs are buckling. My back is hunched over. I feel so insignificant. I feel so worthless. And the balshemtav turns to him and he tries to give him some chizik. And the very next day, once again, the balshemtav is looking out his window and he notices Reb Chaykel, the water carrier, once again. And he calls out to me, and says, "Reb Chaykel, new? How are you doing today?" And he says, "You know, I have to tell you, I'm doing really well." And the balshemtav is surprised. Just yesterday, we had a conversation. And you were saying how bitter your life is, how terrible it is. He says, you know, the truth is, how can I think about complaining? I'm an old man. All of my friends have either died or they're too sick to go out to work. But I wake up every morning and I'm so happy that I have the ability and I have the courage to get myself together and to go out and to work and to do something and to be productive. And the truth is, he says, although my legs are buckling and my back is hunched over, and although I'm so weak and I really don't have a lot of energy, somehow the people still continue to hire me for work, which doesn't really make sense because by the time I get to their homes, half of the water is still out of my buckets. I don't even do a good job, but the people are nice enough, kind enough, generous enough to hire me anyway. And he says, you know, I'm just so grateful. I come home at nights. I bring a few pennies home. At least I have that. So many of my friends don't have anything to bring home. And I'm just very happy. And the Baal said, he was so surprised by the drastic response that was so different from the conversation he had the day before. And he said he then realized and he understood the following Gemara. The Gemara says in Masechus Rosh Hashanah that as we know, Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment for all of us. But yet the Gemara says according to one opinion, Adam nidon b'chol yom. Man is judged every day. Now what does that mean? Man is judged every day. As we know, we're all judged on Rosh Hashanah. This is not a lingering process. This is not something that continues to evolve. Everything was determined on Rosh Hashanah. So what does it mean, Adam Nidam Bechol And the Baal Shem Tov said, this is something that troubled him. Since the time that he read that Gemari, he never understood. What does it mean, Adam Nidam Bechol And finally, he understood it after he met this, Reb Chaikol, the water carrier. And he now came to the conclusion that what it meant was, on Rosh Hashanah, the general category of all of our lives is going to be determined. Are you going to have another day of life? Are you going to have another year of life? Are you going to be a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a parent, a child? All of that is determined on Rosh Hashanah. Are you going to be a doctor, a lawyer? Are you going to fail out of school? Are you going to be well in school? Are you going to have good teachers that you're going to actually appreciate? Teachers are all good. It's the question of whether we appreciate them. Are we going to have the ability to see the good in what we do? All of that is determined on Rosh Hashanah. However, what we have the ability to decide every day, Adam Nida Mechol Yom is, how are we going to spend that day? What kind of perspective are we going to have? What kind of attitude are we going to go into that day feeling? So yes, it was already determined months ago whether or not we're going to be blessed with this day of life. But what was not determined is how we're going to spend it. What kind of perspective we're going to have on that day of life that we experience. And that is left up to us to determine what kind of attitude we will have. Being happy is a choice that we all need to make. There are things in all of our lives that we can focus on, just like Haman HaRasha. We can have everything in the world, and we can choose to focus on the one aspect of our lives that might have some negativity. Or we can choose to put that in the background of our lives and to focus on so many other aspects which we feel so blessed about. And we can be happy people By just changing perspective and shifting focus. I read an article a couple of years ago that I want to share with you. It was in the Time Magazine. And it was about something that I find extremely amusing. So listen carefully. Time Magazine read an article about someone by the name of the late Prince Henrik. Any of you ever heard of Prince Henrik? Probably not. I never heard of him either until I read this. His death was announced on Tuesday evening. That's when this article was written. And he was the prince of Denmark. So here's the article. The prince was surrounded by Her Majesty the Queen and their two sons. What made this announcement of his death newsworthy was not the fact that he died per se, but rather his absurd perspective on life itself. So listen to the story of his life. Doctors had diagnosed Henrik with pneumonia at the end of January while he was traveling in Egypt. He was transported back very quickly to Copenhagen, where tests revealed that he had a tumor in his left lung. Although a biopsy confirmed that it was benign, he contracted an infection, and the palace announced on Friday that Prince Henrik's condition had greatly worsened. Here's the story of his life. That's the story of the end of his life, which is not relevant to our discussion. Henrik married Queen Margaret II in June 1967 in Copenhagen, Denmark. In recent years, the prince has made headlines for his displeasure with the title that he was given in the Danish royal family. He was married to Queen Margaret, and therefore... He was called the prince consort, not king, as is traditional for men who are married to a female monarch. However, Henrik thought that this was unfair, and he cried that it was gender discrimination and that he should have the appropriate title of king consort. Now, he was angry that he was being referred to as prince as opposed to being referred to as king. In August 2017, Henrik had said that he refused to be buried next to his wife whenever his time will come, Even though there was a sarcophagus that was built out for them, which is a very fancy arrangement for their burials in the cathedral in Denmark. If she wants me to be buried next to her, she must take me along and call me the king consort. Finished. I do not care. That was a quote from what he said. Henrik, who retired from his royal duties in January 2016, said that his lack of king title has made him feel unequal in his marriage and has made him feel disrespected by his wife and his people. My wife has decided that she would like to be queen, and I'm very pleased with that. However, as a person, she must know that if a man and a woman are married, they must be equal in all ways. When I read this article, I have to tell you, I was so amazed. I was amazed because here you have a person who is living the most opulent, exaggerated lifestyle. Here you have a person who is being treated like royalty. His wife is the queen of an entire country, and yet the only thing in his life that he can focus on he has everything in the world. He has everything a person can ever imagine and dream of. But the only thing he can focus on is his lack of title. The only thing he sees when he looks at life in perspective is the fact that I'm being referred to as prince instead of king. The Khose Enenu Shaveli. And all of this is worth nothing. Just like Hamlet. All of the good in one's life is worth nothing because all they can see is that lack of title that they feel they deserve. And it's as if there's nothing else in the world to celebrate, nothing else in the world to be happy about. I want to tell you this story about a woman whose name is Chagit Rhein. I assume none of you have ever heard of Hagit Rhein, but she is a hero of the Jewish people. And I'm going to tell you the story that she wrote on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Chagit Rhein... Writes as follows: Lefne fourteen shana, fourteen years ago. She's a woman who lives in Israel. It was erev Rosh Hashanah, and she says, "Hitkonanti neiros." I got ready to light the Shabbos candles, the Yom Tif candles, as we do before every Shabbos and every Yom Tif. And she writes, acharei binaya Ryan. It was about a month and a half after my son binaya. He was my beloved son was killed in Melchemet, Lebanon, Hashnia. He was killed in the second Lebanon war. And she says, Here I am, standing in front of my candles, about to usher in Rosh Hashanah. And as we know, the Minag is, that we don't just say a bracha, we also say a second bracha, when we light candles before Yom Tif. And what is that second bracha? It's the bracha we're going to recite this evening, when we read the Megillah. That is the bracha of Shechiyanah. Now, for many of us in the room, maybe it's easy to say Shekheyanu. For many of us in the room, maybe we don't even think about the words, so we don't have any conflict at all. But for those of us who are going to think about the words, and I would ask you and encourage you to do so, Shekheyanu for you might be very easy. You have a whole lot to celebrate in your life. You have a lot of happy things that come to mind when you consider life in perspective. For some of us in the room, Sheikh might be much more complicated. We may be struggling with something internally. We may have something going on in our family. We may have things that are very much weighing down on our minds, that are making us anxious, that are making us feel somewhat depressed. And you're going to stand there in shul tonight, and you're going to listen as we're going to say the brach of Sheikh Yanu, and you ask yourself, What am I thanking HaKadosh Baruch for? For this awful life that I have? For this terrible family situation? For this crazy scenario that I've been put through? That's what I'm saying Shecheyanu about? You may have such a question. And this woman, Chagit Rhine, had that question. A month and a half after she lost her son in the Second Lebanon War. And here she is, standing in front of the candles about to make Shecheyanu, and she's conflicted, not knowing what to do. And she writes, and I'm going to read her words Mulhane wrote, I stood there next to the candles, and I felt. I'm a sincere and genuine person. I don't do things if I don't feel it. So how am I going to stand up now and say, Shechayano when this is where my life is at? When this is what just happened to me. What does Shechayano actually mean to me? How can I say it ba'ofen amiti with a sense of being authentic and honest with myself? I really wanted to make a bracha from my heart for her but I felt shazei that this is so fake; it's not real. I'm being dishonest. Why should I say shechianu? I should say shechianu because God killed my son a month ago. Is that something to celebrate? Is that what I should say shechianu about? And she said, I stood there crying hysterically and I said to myself that I'm going to stand here by the candles as long as it's going to take. And she did it. And she said, I asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu, allow me to have the strength and perspective that I should be able to say Shekheyanu and actually mean it. And until I get to that point, I'm just not going to say it. I won't say it and I won't light the candles. She says she stood there and it felt like it was eternity. And suddenly she said she turned around. Raiti, I saw my seven children. I turned around and I saw that all of them were healthy and married and had children of their own. I saw my sons-in-law, and my daughters-in-law, and I felt how blessed I was that my children ended up with spouses like these. How lucky I am to have grandchildren in my life. And at that moment, I understood. I have so much to say Shecheyanu about. Yes, God ripped out my heart and he took my son away and it will never be filled. But you know what? Turn around and look what's behind you. And look at your entire family. And look how much you have to be grateful for. And look how much you have what to say Shecheyanu about. And she said, I said to Shecheyanu that night, that I believe the whole world heard. And I screamed it out like I never have before because I really meant it for the first time in my life. It was the first time that I was able to actually feel a perspective and be able to shift a mindset and realize we all have things in our lives that might make us have some kind of uncomfortable feelings, but at the same time, we also all have things in our lives which are what to celebrate, which give us the opportunity to feel differently about. Every summer, I spend two weeks in Camp Simcha with my family. And I feel very fortunate and very blessed to have that opportunity. I don't know how much you know about Camp Simcha or don't. But it's such an experience and it's such an opportunity for us. And I feel that I learned so much and gain so much from the campers who are there who give me perspective. And yes, I'm much older than they are. But I actually walk around with a notepad. And I take notes about the things that many of the campers tell me over the two weeks that we're there because I'm so inspired by them. Every Shabbos during a meal, there are always a number of campers who stand up and tell their story and try to give chizuk to others who are there. And sometimes I'm so inspired by what they say when they sit down. I ask them, can I take your speech because I want to take it home with me and share it with other people who are not here to hear you speak. And they always say yes. They're always embarrassed, but they say yes anyway. I'm going to read for you one of those speeches. This is exactly how it was with all the spelling mistakes and everything else. It's here. And if any of you will take comfort at this speech that I'm going to read, I'm happy to make a copy of it for you later. Because for me, it was so instructive. For me, it was so inspiring. And I hope it will be for you as well. And again, speaks so much to this point of the perspective that having simcha in life, that being a person who can find happiness, is a choice that we all need to make. It doesn't happen by itself all the time, but it's a choice that we all have the ability to make. So I'm going to read this for you from her own words. Good Shabbos, everyone. For those who don't know, my name is Jess Rosenblum. I have her permission to share this. I'm almost 16 years old and I'm from Toronto. I'm a sincere science nerd. I'm a dancer, I'm an athlete, and I'm an animal lover. When I was 10 years old, I began getting headaches, something that I had never experienced before. This seemingly small symptom soon turned into a shocking diagnosis, which was an inoperable brain tumor. My life took a complete 180 degree turn. I went from playgrounds to hospital rooms in the blink of an eye. I felt like my world had come crashing down around me. In fact, I felt as if I wasn't me anymore. I was not a dancer. I was no longer an athlete. I was just a young, sick child who spent every single day in the hospital. My case was very complex, and due to the location of my tumor, making my best treatment option, 70 rounds of chemotherapy. Understand that. 70 rounds of chemotherapy. During my treatment, I was in the hospital more than I was at home. My days consisted of taking medication and sleeping the rest of the time. As I'm sure many of you can sadly relate... I felt very isolated. I was too sick to see any of my friends. I did not have a strong enough immune system to go anywhere. This was definitely the darkest period of my life. I felt trapped and like I would never escape this dark and gloomy tunnel. Shortly after nine rounds of chemo, I suffered a stroke and was then rushed by ambulance to the hospital. I had an emergency MRI and it showed that my chemo was not working and my tumor had grown. The doctors told us that my only chance of survival was to operate on what deemed, by their opinion, to be an inoperable, Brain tumor. I wanted to give up. I did not want to have a surgery. I just wanted to be done with all my treatments. I just wanted to be healthy. My thinking was so negative, it seemed impossible to see anything good in my life. My mother sat me down one day and told me that she had read an interesting article. It was a scientific study regarding patients undergoing treatment for different diseases and their outlook on life. The results showed that the patients who had an optimistic, positive attitude had a much faster and better recovery. I was willing to do anything that would help me recover. So my mother and I started to do gratitude journals. Every night, my mom and I would sit down together and write into our journals. We would write or share out loud what it was that we were grateful for that day, what we valued about ourselves, what our intentions were for the next day, and what stood out in the day that we just experienced. It took us only five minutes, but it made the biggest difference in our lives. It helped us realize that every day may not be good, but there is something good in every day. I went into surgery about a week after hearing the news that my tumor had grown. I was already booked to stay in an inpatient rehab for six months after my surgery as the surgeons were sure that I would never walk or talk again after my surgery. The surgery was a success. They were able to remove 90% of my tumor, and I was transferred to the ICU. I remember waking up after surgery and saying hi to my mom. That was a miracle that I was actually able to talk. A few days later, I stood up and I walked. Another absolute miracle. And only a few days after that, I was discharged from the hospital and sent home with no need for rehab at all. I believe that my miraculous recovery was due to my change in mindset. I went from being totally sick and negative about everything to experiencing the greatest miracles. If that does not want to make you believe in the power of positivity, I don't know what ever will. Fast forward to today, five years later, I still have my tumor. It is considered to be chronic, which means I will have it for the rest of my life, but I am not on chemo and... I still do my gratitude journaling every single day before I go to bed. I am back at dance and playing sports, and I am currently training for Team Lifeline 10-mile run in November. All I ask of you to take out of the speech is to try gratitude journaling. Write it or say it out loud. What it is that you're grateful for, what you value about yourself, what your intentions are for the next day, and what stood out for you in the day that you just experienced. Trust me, it will change your life. So let me share a part of my gratitude journal that I am so grateful that I've been transformed from being a 10-year-old who was not expected to ever walk or talk again, to now being standing here as a teenager who is training for a marathon in November. It's all about perspective. These are choices that we all have the ability and opportunity to make. These are decisions that every one of us, in whatever predicament we find ourselves, we can all find something. Not every day is good. But there is something good in every single day. I find it amusing every year when we read the Megillah. And we have young children who dress up as Mordechai and Esther. But the truth is, when you think about the story of Mordechai and Esther, it was a very tragic story. It looks very sweet and very cute when young children dress up as Esther and Malka. And they're running around and they're giving out shalif manos and they're having a great time. But in essence... The story of Esther was a major tragedy. Here you have a wonderful girl. Let's try to depict her in our terms. A girl who went to Shalom at high school, came from a religious family, grew up in the religious community. In fact, she's married to the Gadol Hadar, to the leader of the generation. Her husband is a very righteous man. She is a very righteous woman. And now a decree goes out that every woman in town needs to come and be considered for Ahasuerus. I'm sure there are many women who are very excited about that. And all they wanted was to be the queen someday. Who wouldn't want that? But Esther wants no part of it at all. And Esther says, please don't give me the treatments. I don't want the oils. I don't want the makeup. She did not want to look attractive for Ahasuerus. The last thing in the world that she wanted was that Ahasuerus should choose her. In fact, the Gemara says... Esther Yirak rakas Esther had a complexion which was not at all appealing. Esther was not good looking on her own. And that is why they wanted her to have all of these skin treatments. Because they wanted her to look attractive. And she did not want. Because she wants anything in the world but to be stuck with this man. And what happens? Of course, the Hashgacha had it. That she was chosen. Against all odds. It made no sense. So God had a plan in mind. And now, in retrospect, we all understand it. But at the time, this was tragic. This was tragic. Imagine a woman in our community, God forbid, is taken by some madman. And let's remember, he may be a very prominent person, but don't forget, he just killed his first wife for no good reason, just because she didn't listen to him. He murdered her in front of everyone. Can you imagine being that woman? Fear of your life? Maybe I'm going to be next. And Mordechai leaves her instructions, don't ever say where you come from. Don't tell anybody what your identity is. Can you imagine what kind of schizophrenia this woman has? Imagine, she's living a double life. Here she is, trying to focus on herself, trying to come out alive, trying not to do anything wrong. She sits down to the dinner table every night. And Ahasuerus probably asks her, where'd you go to school? Can't recreate the memory, I don't know. Did you have any friends? Did you ever have anybody in your community that you can remember, that you can talk to me about? What did they talk about at the dinner table every night? Achashverosh and Esther, his new queen. I'm sure he loved her. So he probably wanted to talk about something. Here she is, a woman of, of stature. Can't recall anything about her childhood. Nothing about where she grew up. Who were your parents, by the way? Did you have any siblings? Did you ever talk to anybody in the world? So it sounds strange, but I would imagine that this is what happened. All of that, trying to balance herself, to do the best job that she can being a queen, while trying not to get herself murdered by her own husband. And then, and then we're told. Esther is put up to the challenge, put up to the task. And Esther is told that she is supposed to go in and negotiate on behalf of the Jewish people. And what happens? says the Medrash, here she is, completely alone, ostracized from the community, taken away from her husband, never seeing any path forward. And the Medrash tells us that as she's going into the inner chambers of Achashverosh, even God himself left her. And she calls out and she says, kayli, lama Am I not alone enough? At least I have God with me. But hemena, ruach ha-kodesh. at that moment, Esther lost everything in the world that she had. Can life be worse than that? Can life be worse than that? And yet Esther has this ability to pick herself up, to focus on the positivity of what she needed to do, to have the strength and the courage to say, I'm going to put all of that into the background of my life and I'm going to learn how to focus on the things that are most important to me right now. And yes, it's true. I may not be a part of the Jewish community. I may have lost my husband and all my friends. I'm living with somebody who is absolutely insane. I'm scared for my life. I don't even feel the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu anymore in my life. I feel completely alone. But I have the courage to do what I need to do. Because Simcha is a choice. Because having perspective is a choice that all of us have the ability to make and when we're told Nichnas adar marbin besimcha doesn't just mean when the month of adar comes we flip a switch and everything just turns it doesn't happen by itself it happens because we take the opportunity to shift mindset and to shift perspective and that's what we have the opportunity to do now not only in this time of year as the Vinahapachu, to take situations that look negative and to look at them differently Flip them on their head. See what I can take positively out of this experience. See if there's anything in my life that I can celebrate. Anything in my life I can be happy and proud of. And we all have those moments. And we all have those opportunities. But that's what Benahapachu is all about. It's not just for this time of the year. It's to change perspective and to teach ourselves that we can do this all the time. That we have the ability to always remain focused. To always choose how we wish to spend every day of our life. That is left up to us every day to make that decision, to make that choice and to decide how we are going to spend this day and what kind of perspective we're going to have when doing so. I wish all of you a